The following talk was given by Jeffrey Sugar Arnold Roshi during a Fusatsu ceremony at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugen Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Oh, good evening, everybody. Fusatsu is a renewal of vows. It's turning our attention to the vows of the Bodhisattva, the precepts, the paramitas. So I wanted to, um, within this talk, continue the study of the Atisha's practice slogans in um, several of them that I think fit quite nicely with Fusatsu. Thank you. When the world is filled with evil, transform all mishaps into the path of Bodhi. We just did the Goth of Atonement, recognizing that all evil karma created by myself, by ourselves, since of old, actions we're aware of, not aware of, throughout the whole of this life, if there are successive lives throughout all of the lives going back into the past. And evil is a very big word, right? It points to the darkest, worst aspects of human nature and what we can do to each other, to the world. When the world is filled with evil, transform every mishap into the path of Bodhi. And this doesn't mean that there is nothing but evil in the world but that throughout the world, throughout history, we can find people, there are people who are causing harm in small ways and in ways unimaginable. We see the power of a deluded mind that finds its action through words and actions and the potential of that or the the reality of that, to create unimaginable suffering. It's the same mind that is that the Buddha had, is a Buddha mind. It has all of the enlightened qualities of a human being, of a Buddha, and it has all of the qualities of our worst person. And so we have bodhisattva precepts, we have the paramitas. Since the beginning of Buddhism, there were teachings about how to conduct oneself, how to live in this body and mind, how to use the influence of our thoughts and our words, our intentions, our actions, and what to do when we create mishap, when we misstep, when we forget, or worse, when we consciously go about causing harm. And as Bodhisattva is turning towards suffering, to alleviate suffering, that means we also have to learn how to face a world in which those things are present. Face people in whom those things are happening. People, groups, individuals and groups and institutions, and corporations, causing suffering and pain every day, made larger by the the largeness of that entity. But always it's people, it's people 
taking actions, making decisions, acting out of their views and attachments and greed, their anger and fear. And this is the way it is for when we're caught in delusion. It is true for a realized person who, in a moment of creating harm, is acting out of their delusion, not their enlightenment, is putting in front a desire that is self-serving rather than a desire that would be helping another. And we all encounter such actions, whether directly, whether just through knowing what else is going on in the world that causes such pain in the world. And we all, in our own ways, contribute. We all have done things, I'm just going to guess, (laughs) that we've all done things we regret. We've done things we would take back in an instant if we could. And that is the turning point of practice. Because nothing is fixed, nothing has a determined characteristic. Nothing is already set or predetermined, but everything is in a constant state, a flux, in a sense of possibility. But possibility made more probable towards a delusion and samsara when it's based in our attachments and false views, and on the other hand, made more probable in a more enlightened way through practice. Dogen said that to think that in any moment, an unpleasant moment, a difficult moment, a moment of suffering, of evil, that this present situation offers you no doorway, no possibility for practice, no capacity to see yourself more deeply, no opportunity to let go, no opportunity to bring forth compassion. To have those views in such a moment, he says, is not Buddhist practice. Judy Leaf, in her commentary, says, when things go wrong, when we encounter obstacles, oftentimes the last thing on our minds is the Dharma, right? We revert to habits, the strongest habits in those moments. And so that's why what we're trying to do is is flip that so that the stronger inclination, the stronger habit that arises in that moment is what we might call the habit of practice the habit of keeping our hearts open, of keeping our mind clear. The impulse to protect ourselves, to defend, to guard, to strike out, or just to go numb when we experience or come into contact with great suffering. And we might think of that as just not trusting ourselves, our capacity to actually stand in the presence of that, to hold that within ourselves, to not have to to know that we're not in control, that we don't, our job is to not fix the world, but we do have vows to do all that we can to alleviate, to diminish the harm and to bring forth anything, everything that is benefit. And of course, sometimes we do need to protect ourselves Sometimes we need to protect ourselves from ourselves, sometimes from another. And in doing that, in that seemingly self-protective impulse, we're actually, we might be breaking a cycle in which somebody else, we are part of somebody else's creating suffering. When we remove ourselves from that, 
draw a boundary so that that can't happen, then we are helping to alleviate that suffering. We can think of that as, as the first pure gray precept, to not kill, to protect and affirm life, whether our own or another. And Judy says, according to this slogan, you don't have to pretend that everything's okay. We're never practicing pretending. <laughs> it's never our practice is to pretend something. It's always to face the true thing. And she says, you don't have to wait for things to get better in order to practice. Which is a pretty familiar, I'm sure we've all had moments when we thought, you know, I just have to suffer through this. I have to wait until there's a little bit more clearing. Some of the dust, some of the smoke, some of the cluttered ears, and then I can get back to practice. And she's saying no. Dogen is saying no. What is it right now? And that transformation doesn't mean that all our problems go away or that we overcome our difficulties. It doesn't mean that the world is suddenly all rosy. It means that the path of Dharma is big enough to accommodate whatever arises, good or bad. And when we have faith that the path of the Dharma is big enough, then of course the next thing is that we are big enough to enter into that path. We are in that path. And so we transform, right? Because things aren't fixed. And so when we meet and face something that's difficult, when we let go and practice not grasping, or when it persists and we just abide with, we practice forbearance. Being in the presence, being with, abiding with what is difficult and persistent. That that's a practice of transformation. When we see into the causation, of something arising, when we see beneath the thing that's arising and see our the deeper intentions, deeper motivations, the clashes that are functioning, when we realize that all the constituent parts of that moment are empty, when we practice metta, all of these are practices of transformation. And so while we meet and address the harm caused by others, we can be practicing because the Dharma is big enough and because we are cultivating, training our minds to become more adept, more capable, more likely to do that. We can be practicing compassion and patience and generosity and kindness in those moments where formally those might be the first things to leave. And so compassion can be a fierce force, a fierce kind of love that aims to startle or shock something that is dull, complacent, compliant, into awareness that something is happening here that needs to be seen, needs to be attended to. Patience can be present while we light a fire under the butts of ourselves <laughs> or another in a moment where something needs to be examined, something needs to be taken up. The generosity can be sometimes an act of giving in a way that seems recognizable, and sometimes generosity is withholding. 
not to give, because to give would become would be a complicit act in helping to further someone else's suffering. And so in a sense, you give your withholding. But it's done out of that sense and conviction of what, was, what is going to help. What is going to help this person? What is going to help this situation? How do we transform that? These phrases are all about that about training, about shifting, being in a moment of of pivot and pivoting in a good direction, freeing our mind, opening our hearts. And as she makes clear, Judy makes clear in this phrase, but all throughout, that all of these practices are not dependent on outside conditions. They're practiced within, in the midst of, all of the ongoing conditions. And so we don't have to wait until personalities and degree of likability or agreeability or, you know, all of the conditions are right, that now we can enter. It's safe now to enter. It's constantly challenging us to find a way in now, here, I remember, you know, throughout early years of my training in particular, there would be moments that I would be in the midst of, and I would be caught in the the conflict of how do I practice this? What does it mean to practice this? I didn't know. I didn't understand. What does that mean to practice this? I think that's a valid question when you genuinely don't know, because in that there's the sense of wanting that, wanting to be able to practice this, and just simply not being clear. So we can begin by being aware. Perhaps during this session, you've had moments that were seemed pretty solid, seemed pretty fixed, didn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. Were you able to bring your practice to those to help that transformation? If you wait long enough, it'll happen. (laughs) Whatever you do. And the next slogan is to drive all the blames into one. So in a world in which there's quite a bit of bad acting, just, you know, all levels of delusion functioning and sometimes it very often at very high levels in very large volumes that it's easy then to just think well the world sucks or stinks and people are rotten and you know just drive all the blames into the world if the world was just not so messed up if people weren't so messed up I could be doing a whole lot better. And so there again, we put ourselves into the position of waiting forever. Dogen says, that is not Buddhist practice. You're the one. You're the one that's needed in that moment. Drive all the blames into the world because the world is filled with all kinds of trouble. We can always find someone 
something to blame, always. I mean, you don't have to look very far at all. Just turn to your right, turn to your left. <laughs> the more responsibility a person has, the larger the target on their back becomes. That comes with the job. <laughs> Pema Chodron says, pause at such a moment. Look at what's happening with you. What is happening with you? Work on cooling your reactivity rather than escalating it. This reduces suffering for you and for others. And this is an essential, radical, dynamic turning point of practice that at the point where it would be so easy, it seems so logical, to turn outward and see the source of one's unhappiness, to turn inward, actually to take up the suffering where it is actually occurring here in this body and mind, in this heart, in these thoughts, in these views, to liberate that mind. And so we have the precepts that help to point us to the various ways that people anywhere, everywhere throughout history have acted in ways that are essentially universal and that universally cause a lot of trouble a lot of harm, suffering. And each of those precepts, the Buddha taught what is essential to understand is the mind of that action, the mind of that thinking, the mind of that speaking, the mind of that intention, because that's what needs to be liberated. The thoughts, the emotions, will all liberate themselves when we no longer bind them. And the paramitas of giving and patience and joyful effort, meditation, all of these are to help free ourselves. And this slogan is particularly poignant at this time when, you know, we really live in a time and a culture that is kind of institutionalized blame. I mean, when was the last time? Can you remember the last time that somebody in a very high position had a lot of responsibility, a lot of, a lot of power, who was discovered to be doing something bad with all of that power, and they just step forward and says, yes, it's my fault, it's my responsibility. I am the one to blame. I am so sorry. When the last time that happened? <laughs> I couldn't remember it would probably be seen as, I don't know, a mental health issue. <laughs> that person's not to be trusted. <clears throat> and Judy says, conveniently blaming others allows us to avoid looking into our own place. We look outward, but we don't look within. And it's true, when we direct ourselves outward, too often that's a distraction. We're distracting ourselves. And so what happens is the change, that the transformation that takes place is the strengthening of samsara, the strengthening of those habits. It makes it more difficult to take responsibility. Shantideva says anything that's difficult, the more we do it, becomes easier. I was remembering an a, a interview uh, a story I heard being told by a, 
a, a man who was a, a military, sort of career military person. And he was in Iraq or Afghanistan, I don't remember. And he was head of a unit. And they were involved in some very significant action with other units that had their own squad leaders. It was a very complex action that was had all this coordination and communication. And it, as it started, the whole thing just turned into a shit show. It completely went south and just was a disaster from beginning to end with all kinds of really horrible consequences. And so the story was he, he was telling was that after that happened, of course, the military leadership wanted to know not just what happened, but whose fault is this? Who's to blame? And everybody knew, everybody involved knew, heads were going to roll, careers were on the, the guillotine. Somebody, would, somebody or some people were going to ha carry the blame for this and that their lives were basically done. And that as they were going through all these interviews and investigations and trying to piece together what happened, that the squads were blaming other squads and leaders, squads of leaders were blaming their people under them and the people under them were blaming their leaders and it was just everybody was pointing in every direction. And that at the trial or the hearing, this one person in the midst of all of that and everybody preparing to just hunker down and defend, he stepped forward and said, I'm the one to blame. I'm the one who is responsible for this. I did not train my people adequately. I did not have things set up appropriately. I did not respond. And he just went through it and drove all the blames into one. And my memory of his storytelling, I may be adding a little bit to this, you know, but my memory of it, not intentionally, but my memory of it is that they were, they, people were just stunned. Nobody knew what to do. It was just silence. And then somebody spoke up and said, no, it, no, actually, I, I messed up. I was supposed to, and then somebody else said, no, no, we over here, we, weren't, we were confused. And it, and eventually, everybody was stepping up. So delusion can be infectious. Enlightenment can be infectious. And to blame here is it's a very tricky slogan because it can seem like, you know, just sort of digging a hole and throwing yourself in the bottom of it. Uh, Kalbgan makes it clear that this is not about some self-clinging kind of egoistic, you know, martyrdom. He said that Buddhism affirms that we each have many aspects to ourselves, many aspects to what we call ourself, our identity, consciousness, our mental factors, our physical factors, our psychology, and so on. And Buddhism doesn't deny any of that. It just doesn't affirm or endorse that any of that constitutes a self. And so to bring all the blames into one is not about fortifying or strengthening that sense of self. It gains its power by not actually defending that self. You don't have to have a moat around your castle. You don't have to have walls.
And then the third for tonight is to be grateful to everyone. Another translation of that is to meditate on the kindness of everyone. And so the way both Julie Leaf and Pema, uh, uh, Pema Chodron spoke of this is um, to be grateful to all of those troublemakers in your life because they're the ones who, who sort of carry the greatest responsibility for teaching us the most because they make our lives tough. You know, there's a well-known truism in, in monasteries that somebody's here specifically to make your life difficult. And they're good at it, right? Can you attest to that? <laughs> so that we can see ourselves in that particular relationship. Pema says, Others will always show you exactly where you're stuck. They say or do something, and you get hooked in a familiar way of reacting. It gives us a chance to see our patterns and work with them honestly and compassionately. Without others provoking you, we remain ignorant of our painful habits and can't train in transforming them. Shantideva talks a lot about how indebted we are to those who, who cause us irritation and frustration and anger, because that's how we learn to be patient. That's how we learn to meet our own anger. That's how we learn to take responsibility for what we are responsible for, this body and mind, our actions. And that we can't do that in a test tube, right? It's like you come into training and we put you into a quiet, padded room. The light is perfect, right? It's a little music. We bring you three meals a day. Temperature is always just as you like it. And you never have to talk to anybody, right? And then when you are perfectly enlightened, right? And your heart is as big as the sky, you come out and you love everybody and everybody loves you. <laughs> no, that is not going to happen. Because the one, the one that we are counting on is there in that room. And we ourselves gives ourselves plenty of fertile ground to work with. But we can also sort of work ourselves into a very comfortable place of conviction that now we're pretty well set until we encounter something slight. And then off we go. And we need to have those experiences. We need to see that. It keeps us humble. It keeps us honest. It helps us to keep examining. It's how all of what we're cultivating in practice is brought out. And so to feel grateful for those circumstances. And you know, what makes that maybe particularly hard is that in those moments when we're struggling, if we see that as a failure, right? I'm a practitioner, I'm failing at it, this shouldn't be happening, I should be free of this already, what's wrong with me? Then it's very hard to feel grateful, right? It's very hard to feel grateful when you actually feel like you're a failure. But when we understand that, oh, this is how, like in a very real sense, this is what I was asking for when I stood at that doorway and said, 
I come here realizing the question of life and death is a vital matter. Please guide me in my practice, right? When those of us said that, we didn't tell you how that was going to happen, right? You didn't get a list of, of, of preparations. Keep an eye out for this and this. This is how it's going to show up. In fact, I remember Daroshi saying quite clearly how that was going to happen. And I was completely on board until it was happening. And it was like, no, no, not this. What I was ready for was over there. <laughs> so to, to cultivate that sense of gratitude because we begin to understand this is how the path unfolds. <clears throat> Trailer Calgon had a slightly different way of looking at that, which is all very much complimentary. He said that we should meditate on the kindness of everyone, be grateful to everyone as a way of looking at how profoundly dependent and interdependent and codependent we are on everything, on everything, for everything. For food, for electricity, for shelter, for clothing, for a monastery, for the arts, for the teachings, for friends and neighbors. How profoundly dependent we are on animals and insects. You know, I've often thought we person can go their whole life and never think about the earth as a living thing. We just go about our lives, and it's just there somewhere. And the stuff we want, we buy it, we use it, throw it away, and we're done with it. But if the earth ever spent 60 seconds, let's give it an hour, and stopped thinking about us, stopped providing for us, went on strike, <laughs> we would know it in one second. We would realize what we had forgotten that gratitude that we should really be living. And so a very, another way of looking at being grateful to everyone, which includes those who we find difficult, people, situations, because that is how we discover our capacity. And also just that vast, intricate web that we'll never, ever know the full extent of, how could we? I mean, just think about it. 72 laborers brought us this food. A simple bowl of oatmeal. A few pieces of fruit. A little sweet bread. And some juice. Think about each of those things and the journey that each of those had to come from. From beginning, and where would you, what would you call the beginning? How far back would you go? in order for this to be present in your bowl right now, giving us life. It's unfathomable, really. It seems infinite when we begin to think about it. And that's why the Bodhisattva's heart of compassion and generosity is we're cultivating that to be infinite, to be impartial, to be unbound, unrestricted, so that we can meet in kind 
that the, the generosity of the earth, the generosity of the Buddha, of those who have brought these teachings to us and everything. So let's just sit for a few minutes, okay? Um, and then we'll finish Fasatsu and we'll close our evening with that. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, Dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.